0: When I think back, one one thing I tell my friends is that was survivorship at that time. Uh, to use my mom's own words, she said, um, I think we're survivors, son. I'm just tired of having to do it all the time.
1: From Fiore Communications, it's how I got here. A show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors. All the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore. And in this episode, I talk with Mickey Moore, a driven high achiever who has been successful wherever he has been. If I had to guess what Mickey was like as a kid before our talk, I would have gone with Alex P. Keaton from the show Family Ties, a super kid with a briefcase and big dreams. Mickey had a little rougher start to his life, however, that included times of homelessness, premature independence, and an unsure path to stability and happiness. We start by talking about how he sees himself today.
0: I'm all in, yeah. I'm all in. That's how I describe myself. Um, love of family, love of country, love of effort. <laughs> yeah, you know, risk reward kind of person. And uh, I do wear my emotions on my sleeve. And I know I can be a little aggressive. Um, I have to, I have to watch that. And some people react to it differently. So yeah, I mean, I, I would be honest. And, and I think that my age now and the successes and failures I've had, it's being authentic. So maybe that's where I'll, I'll end it, is describing myself as an authentic person who can communicate that mm. and not be
1: ashamed or embarrassed about it. So you yeah. grew up in New Smyrna Beach, yep. right? Um, so tell me about your family situation. Want to get a picture of parents, siblings, family life? What What did all that look like for you?
0: Yep. Uh, so I was born March 2nd, 1970, and uh, that was the first time uh, I saw my dad. And the last time I saw my dad until 1998. Wow. Um, and then I saw him again in the 2000s, I think it was. And uh, today we talk, but mm. that gives you a picture of where it starts. Right. So it was my mom and I. Um You know, growing up, my mom was married and divorced a few times, Um, I think out of necessity, if you were to ask her. Um, Unfortunately, those relationships ended, domestic violence and drugs, alcohol, different things. Mm. Um, Stuff that you
1: witnessed yourself.
0: I did. Um, Not just witnessed, but felt. Mm. And... um, you know, so that was through my probably seven years old. Uh, from that point on, it was just her and I. Um, but, but that was, so no siblings, I'm all, all, just me, only child, fortunately, you know. Right. And um, that is really the beginning place for me. And uh, if people ever take the time, you know, to have these conversations, it's, okay, if you ask, I'll tell you. Right. And um, so growing up without a real father figure— um, there were a couple of people that taught me some things. My, my mom's second husband taught me how to throw baseball, mm-hmm. you know? So that was awesome. Yeah. Now I'm teaching my son how to <laughs> throw baseball. Right. Um, but he also, uh, cheated on my mom and, and drank a lot and was abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was her and I early on and we were homeless for periods of time. Um, I've been in line for bread and cheese. I've, I've food stamps. I mean, that's, that's where we were right. couch surfing, doing whatever we could. And um, when I think back, one one thing I tell my friends is that was survivorship at that time. Right. Uh, To use my mom's own words, she said, um, I think we're survivors, son. I'm just tired of having to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to my aggressiveness, proactiveness. Where does it come from? Um, Because I had to keep moving forward. We had to keep moving, had to keep moving. Right. Somewhat. So did
1: you assume in your own mind, some that you needed to take some responsibility for the welfare of you and your mom?
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, my mom was no angel and she knows that, uh, she made some poor decisions. Um, my mom drank a lot and she did drugs herself and uh, I grew up fast. You know, I was left alone in the home, you know, while she would go out and do things. I remember main street. You ever been to main street in days on a beach? Um, I don't, if, I mean, if you I, mainly if you just a, went to the beach. If you rode a hartley Davidson, you would know Bike Week. Yeah, well, I know Bike Week. Okay, Bike Week, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I played pool in those pool halls on Main Street when I was a kid. Um, it was just, I didn't know any better, right? That right. was the life and those were the decisions that you made. Where I give my mother credit is she had to do some things um, to provide.
1: Right.
0: Find yeah. shelter, find food, uh, and I'll never forget that. So when people complain today when I move myself. Think about where I am now. Yeah. I have no complaints, you know, because I've been in that spot. I've seen it. So, um, I mean,
1: how's it? I can't begin to imagine as a kid how you process that like the love for your mom, the concern for her, mm-hmm. the reality of eating and being safe and all that, all at the same time. Uh,
0: it, it's still not processed 100%. My mm-hmm. mother and I still have a dairy. Um, interesting relationship mm-hmm. and uh, I moved away from my mom when I was 16. Okay. So yeah, there's some things there that are still um, unresolved but uh, I love her. Yeah. I respect her. Did um, she find
1: some stability at some point? Yes. Okay.
0: Not lasting mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth but to this day she's a cancer survivor. You know, she has struggled through through cancer, or through other things, and um, I'm glad she's alive and she's in my life and she's a happy grandmother and, and I, I love her, but I also know those things. Right. And, you know, the question was always, how could you make that decision? And she's had to admit she was selfish in some ways and mm-hmm. the things that she did. Um, but I hang my hat on the fact that she taught me survival mm-hmm. and she didn't give up.
1: Right.
0: And she believed in education. That was the other piece. No matter where we were, what we were doing, she was on me. Stay in school, good grades, manners, 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 manners. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot that we could un, unwind there. Yeah. But I I have those experiences and they're in my mind. I've seen some very ugly things, um, violent things, um, hurtful things, um, hiding and, uh, the fights and, um. Just all of that and how it impacts me today.
1: Mm. I mean, it
0: it has to, right? It does. Um, It does. I have to be very cautious in a lot of things. Um, Yeah.
1: So I can see where people telling you, I can't do that, I don't have time for that, giving up on things, seeing little obstacles and making big deals out of them, how that might be frustrating for you.
0: It can be. You know, but you have to, I have to remember I can't hold others to the same expectations I hold myself because right. we all have different experiences, mm-hmm. right? And I don't hold that against anybody. It's one, one experience it was telling was LT. Remember the privilege walk, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I was in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. I was one per. There was one person behind me. Right. And I think for a majority of the class, they all looked and went, right. what are you what? doing what back there? What are you doing back there, right? <laughs> right. But again, based on those experiences, that's where I started. And I, and I get that. Right. So,
1: And for those who don't know, the Privilege Walk sets, um, asks you a series of questions that where, what kind of um, influences and situations were you in as a young person um, that might have affected your outcome? It has nothing to do with who you are now or what you've accomplished, but what privileges or obstacles did you face as a, as a young person? Right. Is that a fair?
0: It's a great assessment. Yeah.
1: Yep. Kelly, i be proud of you. <laughs> Um, all right. So, I mean, how do you, at 16, what kind of view of the world do you come out with? I mean, are, are you, I'm sure there's a lot in, you know, is there, is there optimism? Is there hope? Is there anything good? or Are you just struggling and trying to, trying to survive?
0: You know, so my mom allowed me to play team sports growing up as long as I had good grades. That was always my outlet. You know, that's where I found friends and nobody cared how poor I was, what I was wearing, what I thought. And I had some athletic ability, fortunately. So that was my hiding place. And um, I had a cousin uh, who's a little bit older than me when I was in ninth grade. He took me on a, a one of his dates <laughs> to the movies. It was one of those my grandparents made him do it. And, uh, and he said to me, now remember, I'm in ninth grade. And he said, Mickey, I'm sorry, but... You have to start taking care of yourself. So there is no one that's going to take care of you. Um, Your mom's great. She loves you. But you got to start looking out for number one. Those were his words exactly. And you were 14? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you know, I had worked and stuff, you know, since I was in sixth grade. Under the table kind of stuff, you know, washing dishes here and there. But I'll never forget that conversation. I can see it today. So that was one reason I... I asked my grandparents if I could move in with them, and uh, my mom lived in Century, Florida, over by Pensacola. So I moved. My grandparents said yes when I was 16. So that was the beginning of hope. Um, Now they charge me rent. I paid them rent. Mm -hmm. I worked 35 hours a week at Publix and kept my grades up, Uh, paid my way, you know. It wasn't easy, but that's okay. I'm not complaining about it. That was the beginning of hope. Um so from there is where I got into Daytona Beach Community College okay on a scholarship because I finished in you know top 10% of the class or whatever and then uh got to FSU after that I ran away and joined the circus
1: literally you were in the FSU circus yeah
0: I didn't know that. That was, that was the decision maker as to where I went. Yeah, I was yes. going to ask
1: you why you ended up at FSU. Uh-huh. The circus would not have been my first guess. Yeah, it was Go the ahead.
0: brochure in the admissions office at uh, or the guidance office, financial aid office at uh, Daytona Beach Community College. Right. And uh, I was like, oh, that'd be neat. So what'd you do? So um, that same cousin, his girlfriend, lived at Southern Scholarship Foundation at UF in okay. the mid-'80s. Right. And uh, her mother helped me do an application to Southern Scholarship Foundation. Okay. And once I got that, then I knew I could get out of town. Mm. Okay. That was the deciding factor. Which alumni of Southern Scholarship, most of them say the same thing. Right. If it weren't So knowing them,
1: you had a place to live.
0: That's it. Right. Cause I had no I had no money, you know, right. other than paying my bills bagging groceries, you know. So I couldn't afford to move. But that housing scholarship again and we I can go even Further back, aunts, uncles, others who helped, right? Mm. It wasn't all me. It was timely and people being generous and and helping. And uh, Lisa Kennedy's mother, Pat Kennedy, I'll never forget. She was an executive assistant at the mayor's office. She took time because she knew my situation and helped me with that application. And uh, The
1: mayor of New Smyrna Beach? Yeah, she worked Mm -hmm. in his office or the city in the mayor's
0: office. But um, it was wonderful that she took time to help me get in. And that changed my life. I mean, that you talk about a trajectory, right? That was it getting out of town. Love new Smyrna beach. Right. Go back all the time. My mom still lives there, but I had to get out. Mm-hmm. So that was the,
1: the most meaningful opportunity right there. Okay. Wow. So you joined the flying high circus, which yeah. is, I believe there's another circus now, but for most of time, Florida state had the only collegiate active circus That's right. in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm trying to I'm trying to picture now what I see you doing in the circus. so what what was your act?
0: <laughs> so back then, you took the class, mm-hmm. you had three credit hours. It's an elective, right? After that, if you're invited, it's all volunteer, right? So to get an A in the class or a pass, um, the young men had to learn how to juggle, and the young ladies would have to do a rope routine. okay. And if you're good enough, they invite you to join the troop, I think it's called. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I did it for a year and a half and the three acts I participated in, one was called the hanging perch. So you're on a T-bar hanging by your ankle mm-hmm. and doing a partner tricks. Uh, teeter board, mm-hmm. where, you know, they jump off the platform. Like right, The rolly he, thing? No, no, oh, no. The platform, the, the – the seesaw board kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, the girl flips up and you catch
1: him on your, right. your shoulders. And you did that? You caught the girl? I
0: did. Most of the time? <laughs> Ripped my ear a little bit the first time I did it. Wow. But yeah. Um, and then the last one I did was the double trapeze, which was, wow.
1: that was pretty neat. Did you fly or catch?
0: Well, the double trapeze is... Is uh, that not flying?
1: It's not flying. Okay.
0: It's a single bar in the middle. Okay. And you and a partner doing different tricks and different things. Okay. Um, but you are almost like a catcher where you're always hanging upside down. Mm-hmm. So at the time I lived at Southern Scholarship Foundation and a in the Stone House with fifteen other guys and you know, I come home from practice wearing tights and capizios. <laughs> it's and, a good look. Yeah. And <laughs> and then the back of my legs though were always wrapped because I don't know how often you hang upside down, David. No, but not real often. It took a while for that skin to callous. Mm-hmm. And continuously ripping and callousing mm-hmm. and ripping, so it was, it was a challenge. But again, I wanted it. It kept me in the best shape I've ever been in. Um, I could press a handstand and, and yeah. all of that. But yeah, so I joined the circus, but only did it for a year and a half. It was just, it was a lot of work.
1: Yeah. All right. So after college, mm-hmm. you, I see that you worked. It looked like a place called SOS Industries, but I couldn't find a lot of information about it online. Fortunately. Yeah. So uh, what, what is SOS Industries? What was that? <laughs> so,
0: you know, I graduated in August of 92. Um, my grandmother died that week. Um, wow. It was two days before my graduation. And um, my mother and I drove home after graduation. I never got to celebrate. Um I drove home because her funeral's the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, needless to say, my grandmother and I and my grandmother, we were all pretty close. Um, and I placed my tassel uh, in her coffin mm-hmm. and buried it with her because I understand if they hadn't let me moved in, I would have never probably gone to college. Mm-hmm. I'd have joined the military. That was my mother's plan for me. Was to join the military. I would have. I think I'd have done well there, but I'm glad I didn't have to. Um, so I moved in with my grandfather to take care of him. Thought I owed that to him because yeah. it was sudden. Um, no one else could. So, in New Smyrna Beach, you know, with a political science degree, it derailed my GRE plans, master's plan, potentially law school plan. Okay. So, um, what do I do in New Smyrna Beach now? <laughs> and uh, it took me six months. It was a struggle, you know. I was I didn't want to go back and work at the restaurant I worked at.
1: Right, you're a college man. I'm or a college a college man. graduate. Right, uh, right. What?
0: I'm not going to wait tables anymore.
1: <laughs> so, um,
0: SOS Industries. Uh, basically, you remember I fall and can't get up. Yeah. Buttons. Yeah. It was a company that provided those around the country. Okay. So it was a remote monitoring, you know, health and safety monitoring. Yeah. And um, they hired me as a case manager, so I managed installers in the Midwest Ohio Indiana area to go and uh, put these in people's homes okay. basically and then uh, was promoted to their state programs manager overseeing Medicaid Medicare programs in certain parts of the country reimbursement programs right,
1: right. for these uh, yeah, monitors so wow yeah. It, I wouldn't have guessed. SOS could have been anything, but
0: S, that's... SOS Industries, man. It sort was, of makes sense. It I'm was falling my, and I can't get out. I, I first job out uh, of the gate. But it, the lesson there, uh, I was fired from that job because I, I had advanced up to running an entire program and I had two employees. Right. And um, unfortunately, one of them was telling me the reports were done timely and they actually weren't. Mm. And I failed to... I trusted... But I didn't verify fully. And um, I was let go for that reason. So, as a 23 right. year old,
1: I went to be fired because somebody else let you down.
0: And again, how does that play in my background and all the things mm-hmm. just to get me to where I was? I was like, how is that? I didn't make the mistake. Right. But I get it. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, then that's where I started the journey in finance.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask. So, yeah, you entered the financial world, banking. Yeah. So, uh, what what led to that?
0: So, uh, one of my high school buddies worked at American General Finance and he went through their management uh, program. So, he thought I'd be a good fit. And um, so, that's where it started, American General Finance. And uh, I was in consumer finance all the way till, well, maybe 2000, I think. Mm -hmm. Various companies. Right. But –
1: It was interesting because, you know. So consumer finance, you're talking car loans.
0: Yeah, all the above.
1: Mortgages. First family
0: financial, American general financial, the Mm -hmm. associates, if you remember those, Mm -hmm. you know. And not always prime rates, you know. Those are subprime, you know, typically that you're dealing with. So those present the challenges there. But people have needs, you know, across the board. And uh, what they did, they provided great training. And that's it. I mean, if you could go and work those schedules and do collections, that's the other piece. Hmm. See people at the banks locally, they don't have to do their collections, right? Uh, we had to. Hmm. So um, I cut my teeth on that. You know, when you can go knocking on people's doors. So and it was personal, it wasn't
1: yeah. just phone calls. You had to uh, go yeah. talk to people face-to-face. That's right. And it's interesting because there was probably some empathy on your part, right, for people, hmm. yeah. who not people who were dodging and trying to get away with something, but people right. struggling and yeah. doing their best but still couldn't. Make their payments.
0: Which, which even today in the nonprofit world, that's why I enjoyed the nonprofit work because mm-hmm. it brought me back to that time. Right. You know, I understand what the refuge house is. My mother suffered through. Mm. I wish she would have had that. We would have had that. You know, so I am. Um, that's where my commitment to the nonprofit community comes from. Right. I leaned on it. I had to back then. So um, consumer finance, and that's what brought me to Tallahassee again was um, one of my high school classmates got out of the military and was going to Florida State. Mm -hmm. Said he was looking for roommates and wanted to know if I'd ever want to go back to Tallahassee. And I said yes, even though I didn't have a job at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I told him, I said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. And uh, First Family Financial in Quincy, Florida, Mm -hmm. uh, hired me. And that was in 1995. And I came back up here. Now, if you remember the Cash Cow places, they used to call them. Mm -hmm. So when I moved up here, we lived at Talla Villa Apartments here in Tallahassee. Uh, We had a three or four bedroom for $500 a month. And, uh, And it was still difficult to make those bills. Right. Because I drove to Quincy every day for work. So two weeks out of the four weeks every month, I took a check to Cash Cow. They held it and gave me money until I could pay it off. And there were months where I'd have to keep paying that compound
1: 30%. So so that wasn't a one-time thing. That was a regular part of your process. Yeah. That was wow. my
0: monthly way to pay my bills. So again, I can relate. Yeah. But in today's world, people assume I couldn't. Mm. Mm. Looks are one thing. Right. Perceptions another and all of that. And no, I've been there. I know what it's like walking in and out of a cash cow. In Quincy and the one here in Tallahassee on Bruno, the one on the corner there. Yeah. Worrying about who's going to see me. It's
1: still something like that. It's, it's still, <clears throat> it's a tidal place now, yeah, I think. Yeah, it is, yeah.
0: That's how I made ends meet. And I carried that weight. Mother and I didn't really have that relationship at the time. There's no safety net. Right. You do what you have to do. I've pawned things. I've done, I've done all that. Mm. But you do what you have to, to survive. There's that word again. Right. Mm-hmm. So eventually I was offered a job in Tallahassee, a little more money, less travel, started
1: to get out from underneath that. Right. Yeah. So you moved from personal finance stuff to actual banking and lending. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So
0: so I moved to uh, United States Medical Finance. Um, so they collected on unpaid hospital bills. Uh, and then I helped them create a elective surgery finance program. And it's still in business. They, they became unicorn financial. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I went to the credit union world, Sunshine State Credit Union, and then Am South Bank, Regions Bank.
1: Yeah. So what was that transition like? Did you feel at home in the banking world?
0: I did. You know, it, most of them had transition opportunities, like with team, right? Transition a team, transition a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked that. And being in team sports... Uh, I, I look at myself as a player's coach. I've always tried to model myself as a player's coach. You know, right. get in there, have fun, let's do this, rah-rah, cheerlead. I'll do it with you, rah-rah. And then there's a line, obviously, that you can't cross, right? Right. But um, the credit union was wonderful. It was a nonprofit, of course. Um, the difference there, going to the bank, obviously, the right. expectations of performance. A Shareholders and Shareholders, a All of that. You know, you score cards every month, how many checking accounts, how many of this, how many of this. Where the relationship bank, how many accounts did you open? How many? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right. Okay. okay as long it. as you have a lot of relationships, it's <laughs> right. okay. Right? <laughs> but but again, the training, and, and that's where uh, I'll say again, AmSouth Regions, they invested a lot in their people at the time mm-hmm. um, how to build relationships, how to be aggressive, how to be proactive, um, structure, process.
1: Yeah. You you mentioned Southern Scholarship Foundation before. Mm-hmm. What, a, you know, it, it basically was your ticket to Florida state and leaving your hometown and now you have an opportunity to lead that organization. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, pinch me. It was, you know, it was a dream come true uh, to follow Mary Lois Mayfield, the founder's daughter. You know, she was my predecessor. Uh, Those are pretty big shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was like I was at home again and I was, um, I didn't, I didn't have to learn anything about the program. I lived it, and I think that was the the thing that helped us the most in growing our alumni relationships, participation, was that credibility. You know, it didn't take long for them to understand I was with them. I wasn't just calling them to ask them for money. It was definitely about an investment in a program that I was familiar with, and so were they. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I regret leaving. I can say that just because I love the program, you know. Um, but man, we did wonders, wonders things together. Um, the team, you know, that I had there and the board and the students, the volunteers, everybody. Um, but it was hard the first year and a half, you know, cause they were in difficult financial situation as most nonprofits were at 2008 and 2009 for obvious right. reason. But once we got things moving, uh, it was wonderful.
1: So do you, you hadn't done fundraising before that, right? Not was that, officially, no. Not, a, was not in a
0: paid capacity. Right. Right. Yeah, that was new. And that was the question of the board when they hired me. Right. You know, can you transition your skill set? And, um, you yeah, know, again, me being a little confident sometimes, I said, uh, it, it's nomenclature, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's still the same process, you know, whether it be bank sales or fundraising. You just call it something different. It's still development, right? It's still relationship building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, so I was able to transition the skill sets
1: consistently and proactively, uh, to where we grew our budget. Okay. Well, and tell me about, cause I know you obviously would have to wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. to run an organization like that, but there's the two main ones I would think would be one is running an organization, a foundation, being the CEO mm-hmm. of, of of a, a big budgeted organization like that. And then also the fundraising piece, when you're the main person going out, talking to people about the value and why investing in it is good. So there's that, there are those two pieces. But I, I'm, and I wanna hear what you have to say about that, but I'm, I'm more interested in your relationship with the students, being there and seeing the kids who some of them may have been like you, living in those homes and learning life together, learning the life skills they learn in the house, I mean, that must have been very rewarding for you.
0: Yeah, I cried a lot. Mm. I did. Um, You know, thinking back now, the students come to my office and having those one-to-ones, going in the house, you know, talking to the house managers, telling my story. You know, I can see it today. Um, You know, when my first son was born, um, I shared with them my journal entry uh, when I went and spoke to the house managers during their training. Just so they kind of understand a little more about who I was, I read to in my journal entry mm. um, about being a father one day and a dream coming true and you know all of that because of where I come from and everything else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of emotional times with those students, which I never questioned the effort that I needed to give right because of that. I've been in their shoes and, and that helps those students and right, right now, a lot of those students I was around, they're already giving back to Southern Scholarship Foundation. We started the Young Philanthropist Society while I was there. Right. And, you know, during that seven years, some of those students are already giving, whether it's five bucks a month or 20 bucks a month, they're already doing it. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to the connection. And that is what it's about. Right. You know, Connecting to the students while I was there is very important to me. Doing dunk booths. We did the race. That's why we created the race, because yeah. I wanted them to be in it with me, you know. And, um, yeah, those are some strong ties. And I miss that. Yeah. I love being, I mean, you know, you spend time around students and mentoring is so important. And those students in particular, they're hungry for somebody like them. Mm. You know, they're smart kids. But some of them have been homeless. Some of them have been hungry. And to be able to relate to that and give them an example of you can get somewhere, mm. but it takes effort. Right. Attitude, gratitude, takes all of those things. You can do it.
1: So. Because, and I imagine that's an interesting dynamic when it'd be easy for them to compare themselves, at least their situation, to the majority of the students who never had to think about anything as far as food or safety or well-being or financing or, I mean, a lot of students work hard, put, their, put themselves mm-hmm. through college, but... It's different, right? I mean, some of these kids face things that the majority of students at a major university have never encountered.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I lived there, right, 15 guys, super smart, trying hard. But most of us brought some kind of luggage, Mm. right? I had a chip on my shoulder. You could see it a mile away, you know, for for a lot of reasons, right? Mm. And living with 15 guys helped me deal with my chip because I realized there's 15 others that have chips too, so you're not that special. Mm-hmm.
1: And for so, people who don't know what the Southern Scholars, Southern Scholarship Foundation is and what mm-hmm. the, the communal living and the houses, how it's all set up in yeah. just a couple sentences, explain to, explain yeah. to us what that, what that's all about.
0: Sure. So 26 rent free uh, houses, scholarship houses around the state in different schools, um, girls' houses, guys' houses, they live rent free, but they all pull their resources together to buy food, pay your utilities, run the house. So really they're like autonomous little businesses because they have officers and they have constitutions and all of that. They cook together, clean together, everything. Um, But it's based on financial need, academic merit and good character. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very
1: selective process in that regard,
0: yeah.
1: Hey everybody, just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001, because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit fioricommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. In 2016, mm-hmm. you make a career decision, make a, yeah. a huge jump, at least in terms of budget and profile and all <laughs> that. Um, yeah. To be the chief, to be the president and chief advancement officer of the yeah. Tallahassee Memorial Healthcare Foundation. Yeah, exciting. Yeah,
0: huge. You know, again, pinch me. You know, having those conversations with my wife in the
1: foundation world—that's as big as it gets in Tallahassee. You can't get right. You really can't get any
0: bigger. And um, I'll never forget the lunch with Mark O'Brien, the CEO, and at Cool Beans when we first talked about it unofficially, and um, you know uh, the interest of. Maybe transitioning the foundation to different kind of fundraising or or whatever things, but just to be in that seat and be able to go home and tell my wife and I'll never forget the phone call when the job offer was made. Um, Very grateful for that opportunity uh, because the the amount of change and the impact you can make an organization that large, I mean, healthcare, how important is that? Well, Southern scholarship, I got to impact education, pretty important. Right. So now healthcare. So I, you know, I, I couldn't look away from that opportunity. Uh, it was heartbreaking, again, to leave Southern Scholarship Foundation. had a wonderful celebration, but um, how grateful I am for the experience at TMH Foundation to learn so much about that billion-dollar company. Now, when I say billion-dollar, that includes the hospital, of course, right. our parent company. Uh, although they're separate entities officially, it's part of the family. Right. Yeah, big deal.
1: So tell me about those, lasted about two years, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. tell me about that time. What did yeah. you, what do you take from your time at the TMH Foundation?
0: Well, I, I, again, technology and healthcare is one thing I take away. Uh, the education I received, you know, I didn't have a healthcare background. So part of the job at the foundation, you know, we fundraise to support the hospital. Well, that means you got to understand more about the hospital and all the departments, the 4,500 employees approximately, right? Right. So from neuroscience to women and children, really immersing uh, myself into understanding who they are and what they do right. and where their needs are. So one takeaway is I'm more educated now on healthcare than I've ever been in my life. I am by no means a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't stay at Holiday and Express. Yeah, right. Sorry. I had to do that. You were <laughs> right. going there. I, I saw it. Yeah, right. It was going through <laughs> my head. <Right. laughs> but um, So that's one thing. Um, the other was, again, uh, teamwork. And working with a team of folks and I don't know if you had known this, but at that time, uh, the responsibilities also included volunteers and gift um, – volunteer services, which included the gift stores. Okay. And then the Lifeline program as well, hmm. which is the i fallen, can't get up button. Yeah, there you See go. See how life Full comes circle. back around. <laughs> <go>. <laughs> so my first job out of college, SOS Industries, I've fallen, can't get up button. I ended up at TMH Foundation and I was also responsible for that relationship, <laughs> you know. So that was, wow, that's yeah, pretty
1: interesting. You truly were uniquely qualified for I was uniquely position. qualified.
0: I, sure. I know what the button is. Right. But, um, you know, we, uh, my takeaway is uh, one is the Golden Gala. For the first time uh, in its history, we uh, actually reached over a million dollars in gross revenue for the Golden Gala. In the two years I was there. Wow. Um, great work by the team on that. Again, to support our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the others are the structural changes that we made. You know, we created a pledge society, a plan giving society, and did some other things uh, that I'm super proud of. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it' was it was a big, big place, very big place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. And from there, um, when you left TMH, um, you focused on more business strategies, which LinkedIn says you've been, you've had for over 10 years. Yeah, but um, <laughs> wanted so this one I didn't know if that it was always kind of a little thing on the side, and you did some consulting, and then now what is it like to focus on that 100 percent
0: attention to detail, David? Very good. Yes, and doing your your research. So uh, in 2009, uh, for three years, 2007, eight, nine, I traveled the country as a consultant for uh, MZ Beerly out of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and taught bankers outside sales. Okay. And April of 9, I was laid off there because, again, banking by that time, they were shrinking. That was a tough time. So training was not on their budget at the time. Right. So last one in, first one out. So in April, I hung my own shingle for the first time. Okay. With more business strategies. And I had, I think, four clients by September, which is when the Southern scholarship opportunity came up. Right. You know, four months into the new business, I went, hmm, Southern Scholarship, let me go that way. <laughs> right. Um, but I held on to it, you know, because I thought maybe one day I'll return to it. And um, Southern Scholarship would have been okay, me doing a little bit of part-time work. But mm-hmm. coming in as an ED and transitioning organization, I had no time for it. But right. but I always said, maybe I'll go back to it. So that's
1: why it says 10 years.
0: Right. It was too hard on LinkedIn to separate <laughs> it. Right. You Not know, worth four the Four months effort. and then another one. Right. Eh, just leave it out there. So
1: tell me what more business strategies is all about now and what sure. it's like to kind of, you know, be the captain of your own ship, run your own business. And Frightening, dude. It is. Isn't I can it? tell you. <laughs> <it is. laughs>
0: yeah. So um, really helping, you know, teams, missions, uh, organization, businesses transition from where they are today, wherever they want to be tomorrow. You know, right. now how do I find that out? Well, that's engagement and conversation and assessment whatever you want to call it but really it is helping through a transition mm-hmm. to bigger and better uh utilizing my failures and successes over the last 30 years um to help somebody else and i mean that is the why uh, right. it it isn't to get rich you know um, fortunately, i married up and my wife does well not saying we're rich point is it's not all about the money and I'm okay with that here and where I am in my life and, again, where I come from. Right. It's never been about having a lot of money. I've never had a lot of money. Um, I tell my wife every now and then, I said, I remember when I could, we couldn't go to Wendy's to buy a dollar meal, a dollar burger or whatever the value meal. Right. I said, now I can go if I want to. But I'll never take that for granted. Mm-hmm. And um, so in my own business, I do it that way. You know, I'll, I'll restructure a contract and make it amenable to where I think I'm – Paid a fair wage, you know? Yeah. But um, oh, that light bulb when it goes off, or even when you see the end game and the transition, you're like, yes. Yeah. That's the intangible. That's the priceless thing. But that's what we're doing now um, for profits and nonprofits. And the meat and potatoes, once you get in, it's, you know, HR work. It could be development plans. It could be board governance. It could be executive coaching. Mm-hmm. Various things just depends on where the pain
1: point is in the business, right? So, how's that going so far? Are people receptive to Mm -hmm. to what you're offering to be as a resource for them?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you've seen it. You got to be out there first of all. And uh, in my lifetime of banking work, traveling the country, fundraising, I have had thousands and thousands and thousands of face to face meetings with people. I'm probably a pretty good investigative journalist if I wanted to call it that way. And I have right. the journals to show it because I've learned a lot about people hmm. by asking good questions. And um, so it's well received when I call and I get in and I meet with folks and every business has a need, David. Every, everyone does. Yours mm-hmm. does. Mine does. just a matter on where we are and our budget and time, you know, to, to do something about that need. Right. And um, I'm happy. I'm reaching the one-year mark. Or eleven year mark, depending on how you want to count it, David. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I want to I want to keep a boutique consultancy, if you will. Right. Um, a certain number of clients to where I think quality, both quality of life and quality of performance, can be maintained. Um, I think there are con- there could be a way for a consultant to say, Yeah, I want all the clients in the world, but then never really service them. You know, over promise, under deliver versus right. the other way
1: around. So, and at some point, you'd reach a level you'd max out your capacity, correct? And then have to decide where you're going to go from there,
0: right? So, I'm, I'm trying to be very cautious there. You know, right now, I've got an even split of for profits and non profits. Um, very happy I'm past my goal that I wanted for the first year. Oh, great. Um, but as you know, I could change in 30 days, mm-hmm. and so you got to keep hustling, right? I got to keep feeding the funnel and meeting with people and identifying opportunities. and. Uh, and it's also, in my age, allowed me to spend time with Shane and Rocco, you know. Um, and that's that's hard to put on a balance sheet right. as an asset, if that makes sense. Um, being your own business owner, I, I do have that flexibility to spend the time where I, I want to. Mm-hmm. Last night I was up to 11 p.m. doing some stuff for work. Right. Well, it's because Shane had a baseball game, and that's where I needed to be.
1: Right. Got his first hit last night, so. Oh, first of many, I'm sure. I hope so. That's awesome. No, and and when I talk to people about owning a business, it's it's never about the money because you can get a job, but the flexibility it affords is, to me, a huge benefit. Yeah. So.
0: Agreed. Agreed.
1: Glad you're able to do that, and I'm glad uh, Shane got a hit. That's a good start. (laughs) Well, you've kind of segued for me. We've talked about a lot of this stuff, but I want to get to the most important part of your story, at least in this part of your life, and that's Audrey and your boys. Yeah. So um, tell me about how you met Audrey and just kind of your your story as a couple.
0: Yeah. Um, hearing you asking about my boys, you can see how that that's yeah. – um, You know, my father and I have a relationship. You know, we've never uh, crossed over to a conversation of
1: why this or what happened or, you know – so how – let me stop you there. So how did, did he initiate coming back into oh. your life?
0: No. <laughs> so 2011, uh, my wife helped me find a phone number for um, – apparently I had a little brother. I, mm. I, so I found a phone number for my dad while I was in college. Okay. I'm standing in the kitchen at Stonehouse. I call this guy in, in Marietta, Georgia, and uh, somebody answers and I said, hello, is – so-and-so there. And he said, well, this is him. I was like, uh, how old are you? 17. I was like, oh, a senior then, please. Right. And, uh, he got on the phone and he expressed to me and that was a long time ago and he just had no interest. I was like, hmm. wow. Okay. So I knew I had a little brother. So in 2011, my wife found a phone number and I called it and it was my little brother. Uh, he's 10 years younger than me and um, he was like wow uh, okay <laughs> he said well here's my email address can you send me a picture of you and he said well you should know you have a little sister I was like really I was like yeah, yeah. dad remarried you know married and had two kids and now he's remarried again and I explained the whole well, story so in yeah. 2011 I found my brother found a sister and within 90 days I met him in Atlanta for the first time ever
1: Wow, what was Uh, that like?
0: Well, the next night they went after that phone call. They took Dad to dinner and him. Hey, somebody called us named Mickey. Do you know who this (laughs) is? I can't imagine what that conversation was. Yeah, but that's what started it. Okay, Um, and I went into it wanting a relationship with my siblings. That's all I cared about. Right. And uh, if Dad came around, great. And he's you know he's met his grandkids and you know he's we've seen each other here and there, but. Not much substance there. It's, right. He knows his place. This is my place. We're not going to get into it. Let's move along. And I'm okay with that, honestly. Right. He's alive. My kids have met their grandfather. We're good to go. Right. And then I found my, my grandfather because of that in New York, uh, Dominic Finelli. I had no idea who my real grandfather was until I found my brother and my sister, and then they introduced me to him. Dominic Finelli is an awesome name, by the way. I could have been Mickey Finelli. <laughs> that would be cool. Moore's fine, but... Moore's... Yeah, Moore's okay. But that, that... Yeah. But see, awesome. so David, if I can expand upon that, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I do think about this. So my last name is Moore. My mother's maiden name is Nichols. My dad's real name, last name, would have been John. And the reason I bring that up is it, it's somewhat of a hollow name. I have no connection to family, mm-hmm. right? Because my mom was married and divorced a couple times. My dad... His last name now is not his. He was adopted eventually by his mother's second husband, right? Okay. So all of it's somewhat empty, and I wish I had that connection. Mm. So that bothered me for a long time growing up, never knowing who I was, where I was from, why do I look the way I look, mm. all of those things. And to know it took me into my 40s to finally understand that mm. and learn it, so impactful. Yeah. You know, life happens, right? There have been some failures and some ugly times and some difficult moments. Don't care, because now I can tell my five-year-old and my two and a half-year-old where they came from, right? And how it started with Dominic Finelli, Sylvia John. <laughs> you know, so German Italians, all that story. Yeah, it's just nice to finally know it. And I know there's other people out there feel the same way. They wish, wish they knew where they came from, mm-hmm. who they came from, right?
1: Well, that's awesome that even if, you know, you haven't become best friends with your dad, that it led to relationships and knowledge and yeah. and bring some closure to some of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So in, back to most important, Audrey. You right. know, I Yeah. You have pivotal moments in your life, you know, where things change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one. Um, I was divorced previously. I was married for a short period, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. And uh, no children or anything, very... Uh, amenable separation, but um, meeting Audrey—you know—where would I be today? You, you're, we're fortunate that we find partners that can help us get to where we hope to be in life, which is to have a family. And last night when we left the ballpark, I said, "Baby, my dreams are coming true." <laughs> you yeah, know, thank you. I'm serious mm. sunset going down. Kid just got a hit. I looked over to her, and I got all teary-eyed. And those are the things that matter now. But She's smarter than I am. She's uh, less patient than I am, <laughs> which is hard to believe. No, uh, she's super, though. Um, I, I got lucky. I really did. Um, she tolerates a lot with me. There's a lot that's in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could I could probably use some time to let more of that out. Um, but I choose to put the energy somewhere else. Like Rudy said, all of his failures, he used that. Instead of negative energy, he used it for positive energy to keep going, to Mm. keep going, to keep pitching his movie, keep pitching his movie. And um, that's what I do with it, turn it and put it in my running. Mm. But um, if I didn't have somebody as forgiving and tolerant as her, I don't know where I'd be. How'd you meet? Well, you know, she picked me up at a bar. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) That'd be an awesome story. If she was here, she would roll her eyes. It was Silver Slipper. (laughs) actually. Okay. So if you remember that restaurant. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, it's right around the corner from here. That's
0: yeah. true. Um, my Rotary Club met there. And um, after our Rotary meeting, we had a goodbye party for one of our members. Mm-hmm. And she worked with him. So she was invited to that part of the, the evening. Right. And I saw her across the room. And uh, I caught her
1: looking. At you or at maybe me. Of somebody course, next David, David. to you? No, no, it was
0: me. Because <laughs> if you ask her, she'll say the guy in the yellow tie and the blue shirt. Right. So, as smooth as I am, and you know me to be super. I, smooth. I walked over, and I said, oh, I'll go ahead and say hi." And when I got closer, they closed the ranks of mm. the group.
1: They so, protected her.
0: Yeah, so I kept walking. <laughs> Suddenly, I had to go to the restroom <laughs> <I just can't> <laughs> detour. <laughs> so I walked and I came back out and she was gone. Mm. and um, she had left, but uh, we had a mutual friend, so I called my mutual friend and asked about her the next day, and she said, "Oh, she was asking about you." Mm. Somehow I got her phone number. Two days later, we went on our first date. and It was August 3rd, 2006. And um, here we are. 10 years of marriage later, 13
1: years together. Yeah, awesome. something like that. Yeah. What are you most enjoying about being a dad?
0: Just being present to be able to. The things that I've seen, David, I've, I'm telling you, I. I've had conversations. I'll never own a home. I'll never do this. I'll never have this. I'll never be married. I'll never have food. I'll never. um, Is that you telling yourself that? Yeah. 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 Um, Why is it that, you know, I haven't leaned to drugs or alcohol. Why isn't, why am I doing okay? You know, questioning that, waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's always been, I've always been a worrywart in that regard. You know, always waiting for something bad to happen because it always did. When I grew up, it always did. Um, so being present and being able to have this moment mm. with two little ones, um, yeah, it, there is nothing better. I have to be present. And I've, again, the bad things that have happened for a reason. Mm. Here I am. And maybe uh, sharing all that with them in due time, where daddy came from and what daddy's seen, hopefully raise a couple of good boys that understand. We all come from different paths, mm-hmm. but we can all do well for each other and ourselves. Right. You
1: know. It must be pretty cool to feel. I mean, I'm sure you're Superman, you know, to them. You're their hero. Mm-hmm. And um, that must be pretty awesome to, to be looked at that way and loved that way.
0: Well, you know, David, you're a great father, right? It does feel good. Um, you can't put a price on it. Uh, I had somebody tell me two days ago, another gentleman in this town has been around a long time. He said, you know, I don't miss any of my grandkids' games. I don't, you know, because you can't take, you can't do it back. You can't do it over. You get you get one chance. Do you want regret? You know, you want to be looking back and go, oh, I wish I could have gone to that game. So, no, um, all that has happened from March 2nd to 9th, 1970 to now mm-hmm. certainly impacts who I am and what I do. Uh, I'm okay with that. And I'll share it with anybody. I'll tell anybody because it is what I am. And it will continue to impact how I behave in the future. Mm-hmm. I just hope it helps people maybe understand a little more why I behave the way I do, as imperfect as I am. You know, mm-hmm. And grace comes from God. Grace comes from Audrey in a lot of ways. And um, I know I'm not perfect. And but you go through some
1: things. Being perfect sometimes is just surviving it, I think. Right. Well, I don't think it would be a, a complete conversation with Mickey Moore to not talk about running at, at some point. So <laughs> I
0: do that sometimes.
1: I do want to talk about your passion for running, the competitive running. You've accomplished a lot, running yeah. prestigious marathons. I mean, it's a big part of who you are. Yeah. Shane Shane has run more now than I did at his age. Mm-hmm.
0: So he's going to be faster. Um yeah, you know, it, I remember back to uh, ninth grade running with my English teacher Rick Norman. He had the shortest stride of anybody I've ever seen because he was only like five foot two. Great guy, but he got me in the running. Yeah, and I won my first race in eighth grade, the I Run Right two mile race. You had to write an essay <laughs> about friendship to get into the race, and uh, that's was, an like, interesting combination uh, of things. Yeah, tying com- education and running. I like right? it. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, running does different things for different people, right? Or activities do. I'll say whatever it is. Rowing, hiking, biking, walking, whatever it is. Mm. And I know you walk, right, in the morning. So it's it's where I create. It's where I find my peace, where I let go of things. Um, I pray. Uh, there's a lot of things that I do on my on my run. Um, but I also compete mm. on my run. And I love that. Um, right.
1: And I don't want to give the impression that you're a casual runner here because r- – right. You're not.
0: Thank you. No, no. And, and I, I learned that difference finally in the late 2000s. You know, I started running again. And this goes to the point, anybody can do it. If you think you can't, you're right. But I could run a one mile in 2007. And then I got to two miles. Mm-hmm. And I got the three miles. And by 2009, I ran my first half marathon. Wasn't super fast, but I ran it. And, uh, yeah. And then within that ten year, last 10-year period, I compete nationally in my age group, and uh, and do well. Broke three hours in the marathon a few times, and that's. Uh, but it does take work, just like anything else, mm-hmm. right? And I am less tolerant of the "I can't" thing. You know, if anything gets me,
1: uh, I don't think I can do that. What's your favorite race that you've run?
0: Oh man, oh, so many, David. So you were in Boston
1: after the bombing. I did the year after. Right. That's right.
0: That was pretty emotional. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was a good group of us from Tallahassee and I love Boston for what it represents. It's the most prestigious marathon. Uh, New York city marathon by far is my favorite so far. Mm -hmm. Um, now, especially that I know I came from one of the neighborhoods that it goes through in Queens. Um, but to hit all those boroughs, the, the energy of central park when you're coming through there. Um, you know, the Southern Scholarship 5K, the Education for Life 5K. You <laughs> That's know, high again, on your list, right? It is. I mean, yeah. you know, when you create something, right? Yeah. And, um, and I see students now, former students on social media that are running, that are doing things. And I, I'd like to think it may have started then because I know they weren't runners then. Mm. And some of them are still running today. Because That's pretty they, awesome. Yeah. So those are probably my, a couple of my favorites. But yeah, running is a huge part of my life. But it requires sacrifice from Audrey and the family. And again, so I, the three words you heard me say earlier effort, attitude, and gratitude I'm super grateful for, for that tolerance and that flexibility because I, I might be a pretty sad and difficult person to deal with if I didn't have that outlet. That right. is my outlet. Yeah. I wish I could go to one moment that said, okay, this is what gave me confidence or this is mm-hmm. what allowed me to. Um, again, there were generous people along the way. You know, I, I waited tables. There were people I met waiting tables who helped me in college. When I would come home, they'd give me part-time jobs as a welder's helper. I've worked in a gravel pit. I've I've done ditches, dug ditches, you know. I, I've done a lot of things you do to make ends meet, right? And one last story I'll tell you is um, I was speaking in a rotary meeting once. And one of my good friends, he asked me in front of everybody, you know, where do you get your drive? What – what has driven you? Mm-hmm. You know, where, what is it? And that was the first time anybody publicly asked me, especially somebody who kind of knew the answer. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I told him, I said, you know, one, not having a safety net will will drive you. You know what I mean? Because if you got nowhere to fall, where somebody's mm-hmm. going to catch you, you got to avoid falling. you got to keep moving. And then the other one was, I, w- I wanted to move forward so fast because I wanted to get as far away from what I had experienced in the life I had lived then, I was in a hurry to do it. I just want to get out. I want to get away from that. I want to get it to where if I want a value burger for a dollar, I can get one. So those things, always moving forward and not having that safety net is what drove me. Um, understanding more now probably drove me too hard in some ways in some relationships, and I regret that. You know, Sometimes I have a difficult time pacing understanding picking up those cues okay back it up back it up back it up <laughs> it's a learned skill but it's not my fault a lot of times mm. because um, the things I've seen and done if I see if I think it can be done I just want to do it let's get it done right
1: yeah all right my last question is, the name of this podcast is how I got here. So and that's what we talked about, how you got to this point. Yeah. Um, where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I want to continue to be a good father, a good husband. Um, I want to be successful, however relative that is. I want to be a success in the community, you know, giving back and helping others. So I'll still be engaged there. Um, I would like more business strategies to, to make it as long as Fiori has, um, but I'm open to opportunities you know, because there's. I would hope that I bring the skill set that other oper- other companies may need. Um, so three to five years, if I'm back in the nonprofit world, that'd be awesome, you know, as an executive director. Uh, but I'm very happy doing my own thing because now I get to help multiple nonprofits and multiple for profits. Um, so three to five years, it's enjoying life being a good dad being a good husband and uh helping others as much as i can yeah when i can does that sound good enough for three to five years i don't know <laughs> that's a good three to five year plan i mean, I mean you know if, <laughs> if i get an invitation to be in the movies again or something you know maybe i'll do that you were invited to be in a movie recount yeah i was in the recount movie were you, really? you remember seeing me with kevin spacey not that i'm you know Happy about that? He's not associating yourself right. there. Right. No.
1: No. How did we not bring this up? So you okay. were in the movie Recount. Yeah, I was. Where you were like walking by or something, or?
0: Oh look, I made a lot of money during that movie. Seventy-five dollars.
1: Seventy-five dollars. Yes, I was. Is that like advanced extra pay? Or I think like, so,
0: because I was in the courtroom scene, so you had to uh, be a certain type of extra. That's right. And. Um, yeah, that,
1: no, that was my big movie uh, nice. <laughs> that I was in. Did you um, have to react or anything, or did you just sit there?
0: Yeah, they told me to be still. Yeah. You know, the weird thing about that, we were there for six hours, and it was a two-minute scene. Right. And I just remember in between every take, Kevin Spacey would walk in and out all the way to his trailer and back, every scene. He, <laughs> he would, wouldn't just he, right. hang off it no. s- on the side or something. Right, and hang it was out. like a light. They're like, to fix this light. Okay, let's run it again. He would walk all the way back out. And then walk all the way back in. It's like, man, no wonder they make so much money. They drag this out. (laughs) You know, six hours for two minutes of film. Right. Anyway, but no, I I have no interest in in doing all of that.
1: Uh, See, that wasn't on your LinkedIn profile, so that's why I didn't know about it. Or your resume, for that
0: matter. $75 isn't much to talk about.
1: really isn't. But we'll go from there.
0: Or I'll call Marsha Dahl. See if I can. Marsha.
1: Marsha might be interested. She can start representing me. and Maybe. Take me to New York. She's the one if you you need help with that. (laughs) That was Mickey Moore. I find it really interesting to learn the heart behind Mickey's commitment to the local nonprofit community, something we really didn't talk a lot about in our conversation, especially those organizations that provide the kinds of services he and his mom needed at points in his childhood. In addition to his family and business, Mickey will never forget the difference it made for him. And our community is a better place because of it. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiore Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at